Thank you to Gary for leading us in our worship of the Lord, and could I ask you now to take your Bibles and to turn to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to be reading that portion of Scripture together uh, in a few minutes. But as you turn to Revelation chapter 1, and as you keep that open before you, I want to start off this morning by asking you a question. How are we doing as a church? How often do you actually think about that question? Does it concern you at all to, to think about how we are doing spiritually as a church? How do you even measure that, you may ask? How well are we really doing? How is it possible to know that? Well, I want us to specifically think about our health as the local body of the Lord Jesus Christ here at Honeyridge, as we think back over the last 18 months of COVID-19 and, and all the various lockdown restrictions that have continued, I think more and more as we've remained in this mode of various levels of lockdown restrictions for so long, we've, we've all begun to develop new habits. We've developed new ways of working, new ways of going about our daily lives. And this has certainly impacted the usual rhythm and routine of the Lord's day. I think as with most other things in our consumer-driven world, uh, what we are doing today, what has become known as online church, uh, is a new commodity which we can kind of choose to engage with purely on a personal or individualistic basis. Do I feel like watching a service today? And, and if so, well, what time will suit me to do church today? And, and then once I've kind of settled on the if and the when of church, I then have a whole host of, of online church services to choose from. If I, I don't like the singing, well, I can just press fast forward. If I don't like the preaching, I can just jump across to a, another church and another preacher. And if I don't feel like finishing the service, well, I can just press pause or, or exit and decide all over again next week if I feel like continuing with the service or not. What is on my spiritual menu for that day? And so with that as a backdrop, we are meeting as elders in, in a few weeks' time for a day of retreat to think about and pray about God's direction for us as a church post-COVID. We seek to be faithful stewards of all that God has entrusted to us as a church, as we considered last week, to invest into and, and grow His kingdom here on earth. And the first item on our agenda for a couple of weeks' time is to think about and reassess the vision that we set before the church two years ago. When we met as elders in 2019, we then presented to the church our vision for 2020, which is to grow into a healthy church which plants other healthy churches. And so the question is, how do we measure the health of our church? Are we doing okay spiritually? And not just okay, but are we healthy? Are we, are we growing? Or are we perhaps sick and dying? Back in 2019 at our, at our QGM and then at our members meeting since then, we've, we've proposed that a healthy church is a learning church, a worshiping church, a caring church, and an evangelizing church. And our goal over the next two months as we commence this new series in the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation is really to 
hold ourselves up to the light of God's word and to kind of have a post-COVID spiritual health checkup to see how we are doing. How do we measure up to God's standard of spiritual health as a local church? Our prayer as elders is that as God reveals to us areas where we are needing spiritual intervention and and spiritual correction, that we will see that and repent and take to heart in obedience that which God's word reveals needs changing. And where we are doing well in certain areas that we would affirm and guard those areas from pride and complacency. And so at the outset this morning, we need to see that the health of the local church is something very important to the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that what we will be studying over the next seven weeks are personal letters which Jesus addressed to local churches just like us at Honeyridge in order to examine and expose their spiritual health and then to put into action a plan for spiritual vitality. And so the next few weeks are going to be weeks of introspection as we examine ourselves against the biblical pattern which Jesus desires for his church. But as I hope to show you, our focus will not simply be ourselves and should not primarily be ourselves because our focus should be on the Lord Jesus Christ, on on his glory, on his magnificent plan and purpose for his church, to focus on the gospel of our salvation, which enables us as individuals and as a local church to overcome our failings and our shortcomings in order to become the people that God desires for us to be. And so what we're going to be doing then this morning is to, is to look at an overview of, of this section of Revelation to see something of the, the context and, and the structure of these seven letters to the seven churches and a little bit how they fit into the overall book and purpose of Revelation. And then next week, Shane will, will kick off the series as we consider together the first letter to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. So let's spend a bit of time this morning thinking about the context. The book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John around the time of AD 95. John was the last surviving apostle who had been exiled to the prison island of Patmos for his faith in and his witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. The young church of Jesus uh, that had sprung out of, of Pentecost had grown, but then due to great persecution under, under the, the hand of the Roman Emperor Nero, the early Christians were scattered all over the Roman Empire. And so local churches were, were being established all across Asia Minor and, and further afield as, as Christians settled uh, in different places and as the gospel was proclaimed. Many of these churches, we can read about them, they were planted by or at least established by Paul uh, during his various missionary journeys that we read of in the book of Acts. And then as you read through the rest of the New Testament, much of the New Testament is 
letters written by Paul to these churches to address issues that had arisen in them and to teach the churches the truth of the gospel, to, to teach the churches the, the doctrines of the Christian faith that had been taught to the apostles by Jesus himself, and then to encourage the believers to live out their faith in the midst of a hostile world where God had chosen to establish them as congregations, as his witnesses. And so we are roughly about 50 years on into the beginning of the church age. And just before the the last living apostle uh, of Jesus was about to come to the end of his life, we find the risen Lord Jesus Christ appears to John on the island of Patmos and gives to him this most incredible revelation. It's a revelation which he instructs John to write down and then to send to the seven churches of Asia. And so with that, by, by way of a brief introduction and background, let's come together and read Revelation chapter 1. I'm reading to you from the English Standard Version. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia... Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. 
When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. What an exciting introduction to a book. Can you just imagine yourself back in that time as a, as a young church in, in Ephesus or, or Sardis or Philadelphia, and you were facing persecution, you were facing tribulation from within, troubles from without, and perhaps you are wondering if, if all that you had been taught and believed about Jesus was really true. Did re- Jesus really accomplish all that the apostles said that he did through his death on the cross? Did he really rise from the dead as had been reported? And, and if so, and he had ascended into heaven, was he really coming back? I mean, after all, the, the disciples expected Jesus' return to be imminent. And now they are all dead except one. And most of them were cruelly tortured and, and martyred for their faith. And the last one, John, is now very old and living out his last days on this remote prison island of Patmos. This, this hardly sounds like the, the great kingdom that, that Jesus spoke about in his parable of the tiny mustard seed which would grow into a great tree that would cover the earth. So can you imagine then, being in that frame of mind, can you imagine the joy and the amazement that must have overwhelmed these little congregations on that Sunday morning when a messenger arrived at their gathering with a scroll, a letter from the Apostle John on the island of Patmos, a letter which contained a personal message from the risen Jesus Christ himself, and not just a a generic letter to all the churches, but a personal letter in which Jesus directly addresses their little congregation individually. Can you imagine the the impact that the reading of this letter of Revelation must have had on those early Christians? Well, I hope to show you today that this letter of Revelation is meant to have the same impact on us today. For Jesus instructed that this letter be written and read aloud, not just to the seven churches of Asia, but to us today. And the words of the risen Jesus to those seven churches in AD 95 are words which are just as real, just as personal, just as challenging, just as encouraging to us here at Honeyridge today as they were to those original hearers almost 2,000 years ago. Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. Well, that's 
the, the first part of our consideration this morning as we think of the context of this letter. But now let's move on to the structure. And before we can look at what Jesus had to say to, to each of the churches in, in the weeks ahead, I want us to spend a few minutes looking at the overall structure of these letters to the seven churches and, and how they fit into the overall book of Revelation. And so the first thing that we need to realize as we come to the whole book of Revelation, and that is made abundantly clear in chapter 1, verse 1, that this is a book which is meant to reveal Jesus Christ to us. Verse 1 says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now this could mean that it is from Jesus Christ or that it is about Jesus Christ. And I think most scholars would agree that it is both. The book of Revelation is about King Jesus, and it is a revelation from God about what Jesus has done and is doing and will still do as he rules and reigns over his kingdom. And so while our focus in the next seven weeks will be on each of the local churches, and thus by implication uh, on us as Honey Ridge Baptist Church, we must never lose sight of who is speaking to us in these letters, which is none other than King Jesus himself, and that his purpose in addressing each of these churches and purpose in addressing us today is to keep us faithful to himself until he returns. You need to understand as you read the book of Revelation that the second coming of Jesus is always in sight. It's always imminent. And while we won't be exploring the details of that in this series, we must constantly keep in mind that Jesus has not forgotten his church. On the contrary, Revelation is, is written to the churches to, to remind them, to remind us that Jesus is reigning right now. He's reigning over their persecution. He's reigning over their tribulation. He's reigning over corrupt governments. He's reigning over Satan's evil agenda. He's reigning over worldwide pandemics and economic crises. He is reigning and he is returning and we are called to wait patiently and faithfully for him to return. Notice how John echoes this, this imminence of, of Jesus' return as we've just considered over the last two weeks in our series in the parables. In verse 1 he says to us that this is a revelation to his servants of the things that must soon take place. And again in verse 4, he says the time is near. There is a, a tone of urgency to all that follows in this letter to remember that Jesus is coming back and he is coming back soon. But secondly, I want us to see that the whole book of Revelation is not only about Jesus Christ, but it is addressed to the churches of Jesus Christ. And this is crucial to not only understand the, the seven letters to the seven churches, but to realize that this whole book is written to and meant for the church, for us. Revelation is not a book which focuses on the nation of Israel and God's purposes for national Israel at some future millennial age. 
No, it is a book written to the true Israel of God, to the church of Jesus Christ, as we live and face tribulation while we wait patiently for his return on the clouds, as verse 7 says. I think if anything is meant to set the tone of both exalting Christ and, and then encouraging the church, it's the greeting that we find in verses 4 to 8. We see that this letter comes to us from the, the very throne room of our triune God in this greeting of grace and peace in verse 4 and 5. And we see that, that the grace to you and the peace to you comes from who? It comes from God the Father, from Him who is and who was and who is to come. I am who I am. This is from God the Father. Secondly, we see it is from God the Holy Spirit, from the seven spirits before His throne. And then thirdly, God the Son, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth comes to us from the King of Kings. What an amazing encouragement to a struggling church to have its eyes lifted to consider the, the sovereign God of the universe who is concerned about us. He is concerned about our spiritual health and well-being. To consider that grace and peace from this triune God is ours who is in Christ. Notice how the greeting sets a, a gospel tone to this whole letter as, as we see who we are because of what Jesus has accomplished. Verse 5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Once again, here in these verses, we see that the whole storyline of the Bible terminates on Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. It's a work of fulfillment of all the Old Testament covenant promises made with Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses and David, in which all the nations of the earth will find their blessing and salvation in Jesus Christ as the eternal people of God. Can you imagine what an encouragement this must have been to all these little churches who were made up of both Jews and Gentiles who had come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They had been scattered from Jerusalem, driven away from the, the boundaries of national Israel. The temple had been destroyed in AD 70. The earthly kingdom was gone. The religious system was gone. And now... They are reminded that because of the work of Jesus on the cross, they have been made into a kingdom people of God. They have become priests to serve God. And so all the praise and all the glory goes to Jesus for who he is and what he has done and what he is still doing until he returns. So it's crucial it's crucial for us to keep in mind that as we study these seven letters to the seven churches over the next two months, that these letters are integral to the whole book of Revelation. We will see that, that each letter follows a basic pattern of commending the churches 
for what they are doing right, warning or reprimanding them for the things in which they have failed. And each letter carries with it blessings for the church if they repent and and persevere to the end. And severe consequences for the church if they reject the words of Jesus and carry on in their sinful ways. And what you will see in this integral nature of these letters to the rest of the book is that every blessing described to these seven churches, we find those same blessings being more fully expounded and expanded in the remaining chapters of Revelation. And similarly, the warnings or the threats that we see in these seven letters of what Jesus says will be the consequences of unrepentance, uh, we see that the rest of the book of Revelation expounds and expands in detail the consequences of those who do not ultimately bow the knee to Jesus Christ. And so the whole book of Revelation can be summarized as a book which reveals to us the glory of Jesus Christ for the church, in the church, and through the church. And so these letters to the churches are an integral part of this one book of Revelation, one message of Revelation. And so if studied in isolation of their centrality to the whole book, we will miss the point of what Jesus is intending to say to us through his word this morning and in the weeks ahead. Now as we just consider briefly the specific letters, we need to ask ourselves why are there seven? I mean surely there were more than seven churches at the time, and we know that there were. So why did Jesus only send a message to seven? Well, the answer lies in the biblical nature of the number seven and the specific place which the book of Revelation gives to the number seven. This is a number which represents completeness and and fullness. The number seven occurs 55 times in the book of Revelation, and so it certainly is a significant and important number. And so the relevance for us that there are seven churches selected by Jesus is that it is a representation of the fullness of all the local churches, not only at the time, but in every age. Every church that makes up the universal global church of Jesus Christ. That's what this seven symbolizes, a complete number of churches. But seven is also significant in the specific churches which Jesus chose. Because as we are going to see in the weeks ahead, Jesus is addressing the spiritual conditions and and issues in these seven churches, which are common to, to all churches in all places in every age. And so it's just as important then and relevant to us today to study these seven letters because it was not just for those original seven churches and their benefit, but it is for every church in every age and therefore our benefit today. Each letter to the individual church has this statement at the end. Let me read the one from verse 7 of chapter 2, the church in Ephesus. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Plural. And so we notice two things here. Firstly, we see that 
although it was John writing this letter of the things that he had seen and heard from Jesus, when this letter arrives at each of these little individual congregations scattered around Asia Minor, we see that it is God speaking to the churches. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. And this is a, a wonderful verse confirming uh, the verbal inspiration of Scripture. It is God-breathed, and even though what we are reading in our Bibles today was recorded in a book 2,000 years ago by a man called John, it remains the very Word of God. It is God speaking to you and to me by His Holy Spirit today. But we also see that it is the Spirit speaking to the churches, plural. In one sense, the letter is specific to each congregation in their context, but at the same time, it is a message from God to all the other churches, and by extension, that includes us at Honey Ridge today. And so, just as each letter was read to each of the other seven churches, so too all the letters today are to be read and applied to all the other churches of Jesus Christ, wherever they may be, in whatever age they may exist. So let's just recap. We've, we've seen that it is none other than the God-man, Jesus Christ, who is speaking to the churches. We've seen that what he says is meant for us. It's meant for us as the Honey Ridge Baptist Church in Johannesburg in 2021 in the midst of a pandemic in our country and across the world. And it is a call to listen to and hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us today and in the weeks ahead. And, and its purpose is to encourage us in the face of opposition, in the face of, of tribulation, to persevere until Jesus Christ returns. Now, before we are ready to consider the first letter to the church at Ephesus next week, we must just clarify some, some basic terminology which Jesus uses in these letters. And, and he explains that terminology to us in the introduction in, John chapter, uh, in Revelation chapter 1. And so we see in verse 10 that John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man. And then verse 16, in his right hand, he held seven stars. Now, there already, as we will See, if you read through the rest of the book of Revelation, is the beginning of some tremendous and dramatic pictures that are introduced in this book. Seven golden lampstands, one like the Son of Man, and in his right hand, seven stars. And when John sees this, he, he falls to the ground as though dead overwhelmed by, by the glory of, of what he has seen. And I, I skipped out some of, of that glory in, in verses 14 to 16. But as he falls to the ground, Jesus places his right hand on John and says to him, Write the things that you have seen, 
those that are and those that are to take place after this. Verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So the lampstands are quite easy uh, because Jesus says the lampstands are the seven churches. So as we encounter the lampstands in the weeks ahead, we know that each church is represented in this vision by one of these lampstands. But what are the stars? The stars are not so easy because Jesus says that they are the angels of the seven churches. And so we will see as we move on to chapter 2 and chapter 3 that each letter to each of the local churches is actually addressed to the angel of the church in Ephesus or the angel of the church in Smyrna. So who are the angels? Well, some have held that the word angel means messenger, and so this is simply referring to the pastor or the elders of the local churches. The problem is that the word angel uh, or angels is used almost 80 times in the book of Revelation, and every other time it is referring to the angelic beings who worship around the throne of God and, and serve him and do his work on earth. And so it, it would seem very unlikely that Jesus is using the word angel here uh, differently when he speaks in connection to the churches. And so I think the clearest understanding seems to be that Jesus is referring here to specific angelic beings, angels in the, the normal understanding of angels in the rest of Scripture, who are the representative guardians of each of these local churches, who are messengers and servants of God to, to oversee and, and care for the churches of Jesus here on earth. Greg Beale, in his commentary, makes the important comment here that, that this connection to the angels of the individual churches is an important reminder to the churches that their existence, our existence here on earth, is primarily a spiritual existence. We have a heavenly connection. We are meant to understand that much of what plays out in this physical world is only a, a small part. It's a partial reality of the true rea reality which is playing out in the spiritual dimension. A reality which will be fully revealed when Jesus returns to bring about the new heavens and the new earth. I think in actual fact this understanding of the physical dimension and the parallel spiritual dimension playing out over the course of history is a key to understanding much of the rest of the book of Revelation. So we are almost ready to, to start considering the, the actual letters to the individual churches, but I, I need to say one more important thing this morning by way of introduction, um, which I hope will help us to understand the letters to the churches more clearly in the weeks ahead. In the seven letters which follow in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we find that only two churches are commended unreservedly. Only two of the seven where Jesus has got nothing negative to say to them. 
For the other five, it's a, it's a mixed bag of a bit of good mixed with a, a bit of bad, and in some cases there's only bad and, and no good. And the criticism which Jesus is going to bring against the churches really covers a spectrum of problems which are still very much alive and kicking in the church generally today as well as we will see in our own congregation. We will see as we consider these seven churches that all of their issues and, and all of their problems and all of our issues and all of our problems today stem from a combination of problems in the heart and problems in the mind. Now this has already been hinted at in our introduction in verse 3. Take a look at verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. So the blessing of God rests on those who both hear the word of God. That, that deals with the mind. It, it speaks about taking God's word, listening, understanding, processing it in our minds. And those who keep the word of God. And that deals with the, the dimension of the heart, obedience, zeal, passion, service of God. The blessing of God rests on those who both hear the word and those who do the word. So I want to end off today by giving you an illustration of this reality, this tension, which I hope will be practical and clear. And yes, you're going to need to forgive my engineering background here, but hopefully it's, it's not going to be too complicated to understand. I'm hoping that this will be uh, something that will be a visual, a visual picture that will help you to understand spiritually what Jesus is wanting to teach us as we consider these churches in the week ahead. And so what you'll see in the picture before you is a pulley system, a rope system, which, uh, as you will see, uh, is a rope system that is supporting, in the middle, uh, our spiritual health meter. On the one side, we have a bucket called the bucket of the mind, and it is in tension with the rope to the other side, to the bucket of the heart. And you'll see that our spiritual health is suspended in the middle by these two buckets. Now, in order for our spiritual life to grow, to move upwards towards the green tick, we need to obviously load both buckets. If both the, the bucket of the mind is, is filled up with truth and, and doctrine and, and theology and sound teaching, while at the same time the other bucket of the heart is filled up with faith and passion and zeal for the Lord and sacrificial service, then as both buckets are weighed down, we will see that that causes our spiritual health to rise to new heights. However, the opposite is true. If both buckets are empty and the buckets move up, well, then we sink down to spiritual lows, approaching, as we will see later in the series, the point of spiritual death itself. Now, that's hopefully quite simple and quite clear, and you can understand it as the, the two buckets get filled up, the spiritual health meter goes up, and as the two buckets empty, so the spiritual health meter drops down. But what many people don't perhaps realize is that if you only concentrate on the one side while neglecting the other side, you make no spiritual progress at all. 
And sadly, this is what we see happening in some of the seven churches, and it's what happens in so many churches today. Some churches today have a great reputation for their incredible focus on teaching and preaching and and doctrine and truth. That bucket of the mind is full, but they have neglected the matters of the heart, of spiritual experience, of faith and zeal for the Lord and passionate service. And and so they become cold and and legalistic and, and critical and hardened in outward religion. And as a result, we see as the one bucket goes down and the other bucket goes up, they stagnate spiritually. Similarly, other churches may be well known for their incredible joy and and passion and faith and loving fellowship and service of one another and God's kingdom. But while they're filling up that bucket, they neglect the bucket of God's word and truth and and they minimize and they downplay doctrine and and they end up drifting into false teaching and various forms of error which leads them away from Christ. And so in in both cases their spiritual health stagnates. They they do not grow. They do not become the the lampstand that is meant to shine brightly as God intended for them to shine. Shining out the full picture of God's glory in this dark world. And so I want you to see as well from this illustration that that balance per se is not the solution. You see, many Christians will urge us to be balanced when it comes to matters of the heart and matters of the mind. And often what they mean by that is, don't worry too much about either. Just have a little bit of theology and a little bit of love and you'll be balanced. Well, we will see in our series that Jesus calls that kind of balance lukewarmness, something which is detestable to him so that he threatens to spit the church out of his mouth. Now, I hope you can see from this picture that the only place for us to be where we are truly spiritually spiritually healthy is where there is no compromise between the heart and the mind Yes, there must be balance, absolutely, but that balance must be a result of maxing out our heart devotion to God and maxing out our love for God's truth and His Word as we consider the doctrines of God and His gospel. And so as both buckets are then filled, our spiritual health will will rise and will soar to new heights and we will shine brightly for God in this dark world. So that is what Jesus will be revealing to us in the the weeks ahead. That which makes for a healthy Christian, but more specifically, what makes us into a healthy church. If we, as Honey Ridge Baptist Church, are going to become a healthy church, which plants other healthy churches, a lampstand which plants other lampstands around our city, we are going to need to examine the bucket of our hearts, and the bucket of our minds, and as we discover where we are spiritually, individually, and as a church, where we are deficient, where there are holes in our buckets, where we are not filling up our buckets as we ought to, that we will repent of our sin in those areas, and we will return afresh to the exalted King Jesus, who is calling us back to himself each week, to make sure that as we draw near to him, as we find that grace and peace, which only comes from him, 
both the buckets of the heart and the mind will be filled to overflowing. The reigning King Jesus says to us today, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Where would you rather be over the next seven weeks than right here where Jesus is speaking to us as his special people here at the Honeyridge Baptist Church that we might become the lampstand which conquers, the lampstand which perseveres to the end, the lampstand which multiplies other lampstands all to the glory of Jesus and his kingdom. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to thank you so much for your word this morning, and we want to thank you particularly for this book, this letter of revelation that was written to these seven churches. Lord, as you were reigning in sovereign power in the glories of heaven, you saw struggling churches in persecution and turmoil and tribulation, and you knew that what they needed most was a clear vision of you. Oh Lord, as we look back over the last 18 months, almost two years now, of, of a season of, of turmoil and tribulation, as we consider what this pandemic has done across our world and across our country, as many, many have lost loved ones to this pandemic, as we consider what it has done to our economy, as we consider all that the stresses and strains of life have poured out upon us and, and restricted us as a church. Oh Lord, how much do we not need the same vision of the Lord Jesus Christ today? A vision of you reigning sovereignly on the throne of heaven, ruling over the kings on earth. A vision in which you remind us that you have conquered death. You hold the keys to, to Hades and, and death. You are alive forevermore. Nothing is taking you by surprise. You have not forgotten us. You have not left us alone. But you are at work. And you want us to draw close to you. And so we pray, Lord, that as we work our way through these seven letters over the next few weeks, we pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us as the Honey Ridge Baptist Church. That you would prepare our hearts to be ready to receive the food of your word each week, that you would shine your light into our hearts individually as families and corporately as a church, that you would reveal to us the ways in which we have fallen short of your glory and that we would heed your call to repentance and perseverance. Lord, we long for you to do a great work among us here at Honeyridge. We long to be the lampstand that you have called us to be in Johannesburg. And not just a lampstand that shines brightly in order to draw attention to ourselves. No, a lampstand which reflects your glory, which points people to Jesus Christ. And yes, Lord, a lampstand that in the years to come by your grace and enabling would multiply and, and produce other lampstands that would shine brightly for you across our city. So give us this, this zeal and this passion that you have for your glory and for us as the church to be the vehicle of your grace and your gospel here on earth. And may you be pleased to do great things amongst us and in us and through us. We pray this all in Jesus' name and for your glory alone.